Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. On the seventh episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm joined by Alex Holmes, whose work focuses mainly on men's emotional and mental health. Alex is the founder of The Mindful Life. He's an award-winning podcaster through his podcast, Time to Talk with Alex Holmes. He's authored a book, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. And he's a therapeutic coach. In this episode, Alex takes us on his journey from experiencing breakdowns at work to redefining his relationships with himself and with the people around him, discovering his purpose in serving men's mental health, and he brings up many of the challenges that men experience in addressing their own mental health. I follow Alex's content online, and he's always someone who I see as firmly rooted in his purpose in a very genuine way. And he's also a wealth of knowledge on the challenges that men experience with their own mental health. So I really enjoyed this conversation and took a lot from it, and I'm sure you will too. And if you enjoy this conversation, Please like, share, and subscribe, as I appreciate any support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the seventh episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. So thank you very much for joining me today, Alex. And the first question I have for you is, what question are you trying to answer as you move through life? What question am I trying to answer? I am, I'm never going to be surprised or shocked by the questions that you, that you throw at me. <laughs> they are always like roadblocking. Um, I think the question that I'm trying to answer is not necessarily what is it all for, but why is it all for, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm, always, I'm big on the why. I mean, I know that the at the end of the day, it's the circle of life and things happen. There's ebbs and flows. It's kind of like a sound wave. But I think I'm always in the pursuit of why all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think why is it all for? I think even in everything that I do um, through the therapy and through my therapeutic coaching and through the mental health stuff, I've always been sitting down. I've been driven by my why. Like, why am I doing it? But also when I'm faced with clients and I'm faced with conversations with family, friends, etc., um, and I see certain things as why is the biggest, the biggest question? Like, why do we feel the need to have to do something? Why do we feel the need to do, or, you know, why, why, why? Um, people get annoyed because I ask why too often, um, which means I'm getting <laughs> somewhere. So, um, because we all know, we all know the what, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Where, where are you in terms of your, um, where are you in terms of even your peace with asking the question, why? Like, uh, and by that, I mean a little bit like I'm, I think the more I go into my investigations of myself or of other people, mm. Um, it's almost like I'm either met with more paradoxes or, or almost more confusion while, while some more understanding or compassion for people too, I think. Yeah. I think for me, it's just all about curiosity and I'm okay with not having that many answers come back at me. Um, I'm just interested in just to, I'm interested in just how it's formed, how the, how it's, how it's come about, you know, like if I want to. I'm interested in people's process. So when I'm start ask when I ask questions like why, I'm interested in how they get there, what that what that means that what that means to them. When I look at wider society and I think all the restrictions that we have on particular civil liberties or social progression, um, and just this need by a lot of people just to kind of remain in um, in particular ways of living and particular ways of being. And, you know, it's not always, you know, no one's right or wrong generally, but if they have a strong opinion on something, I'm just like, okay, so why? And I like to, to see the process that people are going through to kind of justify their why. Um, I mean, and if it's something that I can get with, I can respect it. I don't have to agree, but I can respect where you people are coming from. Um, but if the why doesn't, if the why can't be upheld, then I'm always just like, hmm, is it something that needs to be? upheld then because I think like you know I think one of the best things in life is about being able to see different points of view broaden perspective think about 
who you like who you are in this in the space and consistently be on an on an evolving train consistently going going but you're just evolving expanding meeting new people learning new things discovering new ideas and whatnot um but also at the same time maintaining your own integrity as to what that means for you you know at the same time so yeah i mean that's pretty much where i where i'm on the journey it's just i'm i like looking at what people's processes are and then i'm seeing if it aligns with my values and if they align with my values then it's something that i can actually adopt into my <laughs> into my little box of values um if they don't align with my values um then it's a question of okay cool well i understand that's a point and where that's coming from so the why then isn't a it's not almost you know i think sometimes why is almost um there's a certain judgment sometimes that we can make implicit within that mm. uh, but from your perspective it is just driven by a genuine curiosity and yeah. even if we have a point of difference i, I can th- i just want to understand it because yeah. i was going to say i think that people i think that life is just more fun when you when you're curious and just knowing your your journey then even from starting out in life as a as a journalist is is that what moved you into that area first um i guess on some level for sure i was always somebody that asked questions but you know i think i would have ended up in any so you know for those who don't know i'm a I work as a hypnotherapist and therapeutic coach right now, and I'm working towards becoming a psychotherapist. And a lot of psychotherapists are asking questions all the time. And I feel like I would have ended up in any kind of profession that was that had me asking questions, regardless, just because I was just always somebody who was asking questions about something. So journalism is naturally a place that you can end up and ask the questions and go seek the answers and find them out. Um, it's becoming less and less romantic in that way <laughs> but um I could have been in philosophy um which I find myself in a lot of the time um you never know I could have lent further into my religion um in the church growing up I could have gone down that path um and even even in elements of psychotherapy when you're training you do learn a lot of the philosoph- philosophical um foundations for a lot of the theories that are that are available so yeah I mean I guess it was me first then the things that came that allowed me to be me in those spaces and it just developed a particular hunger for um, particular areas particular qualities of in my personality and then when you uh, I know I know you were mentioning earlier just even in terms of what you perceive to be certain social structures or the way things are. I was, I was always just in, intrigued as to what attracted you to, to kind of focusing on the area of men's health. I think um, one of the big drivers for me is just looking in the mirror. I'm a man and I feel unhealthy. Where are the people who are, supporting me to become a healthy wholehearted man and then you start to look at the stats and men are statistically more likely to die at work men are more statistically more likely to die before women men are statistically more likely to die at the hands of themselves and um men are statistically more likely to go to war um and die young um you know, the number of fatherless children is growing. Um, and I just thought to myself, why is nobody having conversations about this? Like, generally, like, it, you know, when it comes to women and children, we, and rightfully so, we care a lot about women and children in um, in the main you know, there are subsectors of community that really devalue women socially. Um, but at the end of the day, like when it comes to men, men are just kind of freewheeling out there by themselves. A lot of men don't have a lot of good role models. And again, I found that a lot of women did have a lot, were able to build community 
very well and very quickly. Um, if a woman saw another woman crying in the street or if another woman saw another woman um, upset or uh, struggling, um, another woman would help another woman based on a multitude of things for regards to environment and social factors and loads of different things there. But um, when it came to men, I just found that a lot of men were just either looked upon as deserving of being there because they didn't pull their shoes up at the bootstraps or they just weren't strong enough or they weren't um, a good enough man or they deserved that to happen to them and all this different stuff. And I found that that was just like... And I found that that was really heartbreaking because I looked around at everybody and I always thought, you know, everyone is deserving of help and support as a principle. Um, whether or not, well, you know, who they are and what they've done sometimes. Um, and you can kind of navigate that in whichever way your moral compass goes. But I think just as a, as a value point for me, I think I, I just, everybody is deserving of help, love and support. And, um, and when I just see how we've kind of, fragmented that as a society I just yeah it just kind of breaks my heart quite a bit and then when I look deeper and I just found that you know when I'm seeing when I'm on the train on the tube and I'm seeing veterans on there asking for money um people who have you know fought for the country and whatever your political stance on war is <clears throat> um the fact that they've done something that they felt to be noble or they've gone into this position feeling like as a man, that's kind of what they were kind of pushed to do maybe, or that was where their sense of purpose was or their identity was. And to only come back to be on the street is a bit, you know, it's sad. It's sad. And there's a lot about society that saddens me right now. But if I was to sit here and kind of labor over everything, I'd be, you know, I'd be in the dark quite a bit because it's just, it is very heavy sometimes. So um, that's kind of what led me to really focusing on men's mental health and men's health itself. Um, yeah. It sounds, um, you know, when you use the word fragmented there, like it, it sounds quite a lonely existence, I think, for for men on this on this road at times, like particularly when you're saying the in situations where the load has got too much, too much to bear in places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life is lonely. Like I think, I think that's something that we need to accept. <laughs> I, I do believe, but, or life can be lonely in areas, you know, I mean, we all feel bouts of loneliness. I don't think everybody always feels as if they belong everywhere all the time all at once <laughs> but um because we do have a deep understanding that we come into this world we're brought into this world by loving hands typically or but when we leave this world we tend to we leave it by ourselves so you know there are there there is an understanding of that um but i do think that a lot of what happens with men is that when and you know if we use the word fragmentation again our social connections and our and our our relationships the quality of those relationships and those connections are challenged and are compromised from a young age and you know and we learn not to trust from a very young age we learn that we get a lot more attention when we're boisterous or destructive than we do otherwise. Um, you know, sometimes it's about not really bringing much attention to yourself, but if you don't get any attention, if you don't get any love, if you don't get any care, then sometimes you just, you're going to try and get attention in whatever way you possibly can. But, um, and boys do develop a bit, a bit later than girls in some areas. So, Again, um, it's like we're just on a back foot in some areas, in some ways. It's probably like just socially, but the way that society is set up, we're on a back foot developmentally and socially, but we are also um, privileged in how 
we are how we are how our status is in society so you're conditioned to feel as if you have no problems but when you do have a problem you don't feel like you can say that you do have those problems because you shouldn't have any problems because you're a man and men don't have problems do they so you're just in the, you're you're just you're just in an infinite loop of just confusion all the time until you break out of that. Um, it's awful. <laughs> what helped just for you personally? What helped you to not only just let's say to break out of that uh, infinite loop of confusion, uh, but also then to come out of it as some uh, in ways with a, a mission as well. Um, what helped me? I mean. Again, like, Mark, I was pushed to the edge. Like, I was pushed to a point where I was like, you know, I had three breakdowns at work because I was in that infinite loop of I have a problem, I can't speak about it. I have a problem, I can't speak about it. I have a problem, I can't speak about it. Um, And then you add in the how do I cope part and the coping part is a negative coping mechanism and you back into the problem again and you're you're just in this really weird kind of, um, this kind of weird cycle. And um, so, yeah, I had the breakdowns and I sat down and I thought to myself, I can't actually, I can't keep doing this. Um, My body was reacting against me and it just wasn't, um, I wasn't doing well. I didn't feel well. I didn't feel good about myself emotionally. I didn't feel good about myself physically. I didn't feel like I was a whole person. We're back to the fragmentation word. I felt broken, generally. So, um, yeah, I think there was a there was a moment where I just sat down and kind of had an epiphany of just you need to sort this out because you it, it's very it's very sketchy right now. And then I was reading all the stats around suicides, and I was like, I I wasn't having suicide ideation, but I didn't want to get there. Um, when you know when the mind is presented with an option it starts to consider options so i thought no i don't want to do that uh went to therapy um and and you know and and the, the source of it all was about developing and understanding my relationships and um i began to really investigate those relationships and started to look inside them and think not necessarily what am i benefiting from but does it serve me? Am I getting what I need in this relationship, in this friendship, in this partnership, in this as a son, as a as a son to my parents, as my parents to me? And then, I mean, am I what am I am I getting what I need? Am I giving them what they need? You know, um, as a brother, you know, all these different things. So I started to really kind of really got out all of my things. I just emptied my suitcase on the bed and just started fishing around for things that were just, you know, just things that were there, things that were there that didn't need to be, things, tools that were there that weren't being used, outdated things, all all of the different stuff. So I started looking at what I had, all the resources in there. And I just said, you know what? Most of this stuff needs to get thrown away so I can start again and make space. The stuff that's the stuff that's useful, I can use. The stuff that's not, I can get rid of. Things and things I'm holding on to, I can either give away or you know. So there's there's a different um, avenues I took, but that was pretty much it. Like it was after the breakdown, that was the, that was kind of the impetus to me to say, look, you need to start to reevaluate your life, reorganize. Which is a. Uh... I think it's powerful just how, I don't know, certain breakdowns or breakthroughs, if you wanted to look at it like that, just kind of these inflection points in life that while extremely difficult, there is some kind of opportunity within it as well. I really like this sense of the suitcase and, and deciding what stays in or what is thrown out. And and I think sometimes our focus when when looking at our lives is what do I need to do better? What do I need to what do I need to do differently? And then sometimes it's just what do I need to stop doing? You know, I, I love this idea as well of uh, 
I love this idea as well of what do I need to get and give? You know, it wasn't just when you're looking at your relationships, what what should people be doing for me? It's like a nice two-way street in, in the way you were looking at that as well. Yeah. We look, we look so much about what we're receiving from other people, but we don't really look about what we're giving to other people and whether we're the, whether we're the villain in their story, you know, like, what are we doing? If everything is so focused and centered around you, then, which again is natural because you are the main character in your life. Like, you know, you have the experience, you, you are experiencing your life as is. Um, but it's like what I said earlier about perspectives and start looking around and starting to think a bit more around how we how we are interacting with one another is how what our behaviors are saying our covert and overt behaviors and thoughts and feelings and things and when you look at this idea of uh you know asking the question why and this big curiosity um even then looking at like experiencing a, a breakdown and then and then kind of examining your life more closely uh, and seeing what needs to stay and what needs to go using the suitcase analogy again like w- what were the components of a of a like of how you wanted to relate with people like what were you identifying as these were going to be kind of cornerstones of how I'd like to live my relationships moving forward mm. so i think one of the big things that i was i had to learn um quite quite effectively with my therapist was um values and what my values were um and i had to figure out exactly how how i embodied those values in myself but also how i like what i expected from other people in regards to those values um so for example one of my big values is trust i need to be able to trust myself before i can trust other people if that makes any sense so you know yeah, if, if, it, if yeah. trust was a toy that was in that suitcase it was battered bruised ripped apart <laughs> and i just was like why is this here <laughs> so i was like i don't need this old raggedy toy I need to get a new one <laughs> like you know so yeah. um and I had to redefine what trust meant for me. But I had to understand what, what how I could trust myself. Because if I can't trust myself, how do I know what level of trust is needed for another person for me? Because I know, cause I, and I found that when it, you know, as I mentioned, like boys typically don't feel like they, you know, are kind of conditioned to not trust from an early age. But when I'm looking at trust, it's like a lot of the, a lot of the relationships that we have, um, it's like, oh, I don't trust that person. They broke my trust because they didn't arrive on time. Or they called you at seven when you said, call me at 6.45. People are just, you know, and I'm just like, and I'm just like, well, what is the basis for this trust? If your values are things like arrive on time, call me when you say you're going to call me, um, you know, like pay for what you pay, what you owe or whatever. If those are your values, you also have to kind of, I feel like there's also a part of you that has to look at kind of reason and benefit of the doubt and, and you know, and those kinds of things and weigh up the fact that if those things aren't met, at what point is it breaking point? Do you see what I mean? Like if I'm in an yeah. emergency and arriving on time is imperative or answering the phone when I call it and I'm in a big, big emergency, life-threatening or to me or whatever, and it's a continued pattern then yeah fine you know who you can and can't trust in that situation so you have to figure out who you can or you make it very clear so my whole thing was about trusting people but also trusting myself to know what my values were and to know what my peace what my peace of mind was and then figuring out what the limits were on it there's some things that you can kind of respect and understand and there's some things that you just, that are just are intolerable so um i think that was one of the big things and i didn't really have a measure for that it was literally it was literally if you do something one way then i'm not going to mention it but i but it really hurt my feelings but i'm not going to mention it 
because I because I'm I wrong. Am I am I the one that am I the one that's overthinking this? I'm you know. So again, I start to beat myself up because I don't trust my own thoughts and feelings <clears throat> around such a yeah, thing. Yeah. And I had to kind of reframe all of that and just thought, you know what? You know, it's not that deep. It's not that big of a problem. It's fine. I can kind of move onwards. But when it is a problem, I can communicate it and we can move forward. My whole thing is about how we move forward from this and not kind of stuck in me making assumptions about things that just might not even exist. People can forget. People, people might not have the same values and that's absolutely fine. But you just have to be able to communicate that with yourself and understand how you think around it. I, I think there's a few uh, a few lovely ideas here in that, you know, the, the trusting other people part is inherently linked to our trust of ourselves as well. But then also when you're decoding your own values, when you actually give it time, I think you're more willing to, and they're thought through. And it's not just by osmosis that you have this idea of these are my values. Um, that I, I feel in my experience, I'm far more willing to communicate what my values are, communicate what my boundaries are. And it's not this kind of uh, guess who experience when in relationships where we're just, you know, as you said there, I'm going to say something or you're going to say something. I'm not going to communicate that either I'm hurt or annoyed. And then it will just let the relationship kind of trundle along. Like it, it seems almost that you're just, you're putting in kind of, inherent pillars into just like good healthy communication and relation with other people yeah i think yeah because because it's cause that's important we need our relationships we need them to thrive in order for us to live longer basic personally um and just to you know just to embody happy just to embody the full spectrum of the human experience right we need that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We need to, we need to, you know, if we didn't have human interaction, we wouldn't know what anger looked like or what disappointment felt like, or, you know what I mean? Or, or boundaries or limits. We didn't have, you know, sometimes we just, we just need those things. So, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm big on, I'm big on us finding ways to improve our communication and improve our relationships in ways that benefit us. It's amazing though, isn't it? Like how, I don't know, how underserved they are. Like there's this, there's this huge component of our life. Like even in the original interviews um, that I do, conducted for this relationships was almost the only unanimous answer that came up. And they kind of, I don't know, they're, they're almost like the, the cobbler's children or something like that. Like our relationships in terms of just how much deliberate um, attention and how much intention we imbue our relationships with they're like well relationships are this kind of beautiful organic moving evolving thing there are also things that you know as you're kind of describing in your own personal discovery um process figuring out yourself can also be quite a tricky thing but then to do that in tandem with somebody else it's amazing the degree to what we leave unsaid or or unspoken in this journey yeah it is it is. I mean, we all have we all have a private self. The, the things we don't share, you know, and um, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to decipher what it is that we should and shouldn't share, or can and can't share. And I mean, ultimately, what we don't share typically is because it's not always safe to. Um, it's not always the right yeah. time. And sometimes we haven't even processed it either ourselves. So, yeah. In terms of when you move through life and you're identifying certain things here, like uh, this curiosity, this importance of relationship, at what point then did it, uh, did your focus switch to, okay, I see this pain and suffering. I see this suffering, particularly for men. I see the fragment, uh, fragmentation, the loneliness at times. What were your kind of first steps into into making this something something more of a let's say even an external kind of mission or something that you would contribute towards? I think um, I think I lent into my position as a journalist and I said, okay, I'm gonna. What do journalists do? They write or they 
interview and I thought, okay, let me interview some men around their health and start to kind of get it into the main conversation. Um, it didn't really pan out in the way that I wanted it to in the mainstream media. And I, and I left journalism. But what that did do for me is that I, this was before Substack, and this was before, they were, in hindsight, I would have probably started a Substack and just continued the interviews um, in, that, in that vein. But um, this was well before then. Um, this, was the, this was the age of medium and, um, um, and, other, right. and other things. So Substack wasn't really about at that time, but, um, or popular at all. But um, after that, I just, I just bagged all the interviews and I kind of took it to my podcast and I began to have the conversations on my podcast about it. And then I kind of began to pull them off and make them into a into just into a document. And then that document became a book. And that's how I created Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, the book. Um, and then I was still searching after the book was written. I was thinking, what is it? there's more here because I'm reading this from the position of I'm writing this and reading this from a position of a journalist and I'm like there's so much more here what is what is what is going on what's what can I do why did I write this book <laughs> again we're back at the why why did I write this book why are <laughs> men going through all this why 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 um and then I was like well what can I do in order for me to be of service and um I became a mental health first aider, which helped me develop the languages and the awareness that was required um, in this mental health conversation. Helped me understand what bipolar disorder was, what borderline personality disorder was, anxiety, depression itself, um, how that differentiates from chronic and clinical and anxiety and stress and all those things, how to talk to somebody about their mental health. And I thought, oh, this is actually really good. I really enjoy this as a topic. Um, but I can't do much with it, though. I work for myself. Um, you know, mental health first aid is helpful when you are um, in a workplace, generally, or in a populated place, because you can actually, you know, interact with one another. I work for myself. I work by myself quite often, but it did help me um, look at things a lot different, a lot, a lot differently, a lot more differently. Yeah, a lot differently. And um, but then I thought, okay, I want to figure out more. So I then went on to become a health coach um, because a lot of men were. You know, you know, around me at the time, a lot of men were struggling with prostate issues, um, pattern boldness, boldness and depression because of that. Um, a lot around nervous system regulation. And I just wanted to know more about the body without becoming a biologist um, and things like that. And I just thought, OK, cool. It taught me everything I need to know about the heart, the lungs the veins, everything, you know, I was like, this is really cool. But then I did a coaching module, part of the health coaching course. And I really loved the therapeutic side of stuff. And I thought, and I, and I came across a psychologist in there called Carl Rogers, who was like the leading, the pioneer in person-centered psychotherapy. And I just bought all his books <laughs> just in one fell swoop. I said, I'm going to buy everything. Um, and I began to read um, how to be a listener how to ask the questions, what to do, um, becoming a person, person-centered therapy. I was just reading, reading, reading everything. And I thought there, I thought this man is like a god. <laughs> He's just got everything here for me as a therapist. <laughs> and then I found a course that I went on and I realized that um, and it was a hypnotherapy, psychotherapy course, um, which is what I'm, which is the qualification which I'm finishing now. And um and I just realized that Carl Rogers is just like a small part of a infantismal like conversation <laughs> around mental health and psychotherapy. Yeah. And you know, as you know, there's Freud, there's Young, there's Adler, there's there's everybody, yeah. And it just kind of just goes 
on and on and on. And there's people that are developing theories and understanding new things and third wave, first wave, second, all these different things. And I just thought, this is where my people are. This is where I need to be. And that's the, and those are the steps towards how I got to from there to, to there. And all with them, all with the focus of me being able to be of service to people who can't articulate their situation or don't have the language or the resources to do it. Um, and whether that be men, women, non-binary, whether that be black people, white people, whoever, we all struggle with very similar things and the, we just need to be understood. Um, and I think that's one thing that we're just really trying to do each day. Um, but my, when I'm focusing on men, because of the social makeup of society, I feel like once men get to a point where we can actually articulate our situation in a way that is not harmful and that we understand more about ourselves and become self-aware and actually appreciate, appreciate things, um, I think that we can actually really change. You know what? I did notice that when the when certain things kind of shift in society, so you know, we had the big kind of shift with regards to sexism, with regards to the Me Too movement, um, and say her name and various movements which needed to happen to address rampant misogyny and sexism in very specific industries in particular ways and then that filtered down to wider society right we have stop asian hate and black lives matter those are the those are key movements which and um i'm sure they're similar for a latin a latinx movement too but there's a key movements to help oppress people of color to be able to you know make change in those particular ways We've had queer liberation, France, we've had all of these different things, but at the helm of it has been a lot of men who just aren't moving in a direction because as I mentioned earlier about the hierarchies and positions of where men tend to sit, if they happen to be a straight white male of a particular economic class, there's nothing for them to change because everything but then everything is external but when we start looking at what's happening in here and what's happening in our heart what's happening um on the inside then we can at least then they can at least make a step towards that you know you know and it, and it should be that it should, like oh, and, and i tried not to use the shoulds but i do feel like it should be that it should be you know, regardless of your circumstance, men should be able to look inside their hearts and start to move compassionately. Because we've been we've been focused so long on what is working for us externally, the material gain, the gaining status through power, the um, the economic um, the economic gain and potential that men have over women. You know, the, the you know building the status of being a family man. And not a bachelor, you know how many children you can you can produce, but it's never it's never looked at of oh, what the woman is giving birth to them, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like right, it's right. everything is external. How big your car is, how big your house is, how much money you earn, how much what who you are in society, but not necessarily who you are at home, sort of thing. It's all of these different things. Everything's outside of us. Um, and I think in the more that we can kind of, and I looked at it and I thought through all the training and things like that, I'm like, well, a lot of men just aren't looking inside. We're not, you know, men don't talk enough, quote unquote. Men aren't in therapy. Men are dying by suicide. And it's, and I do feel strongly that it's because we're not looking inside ourselves enough and we're not, and we're, and we're killing that part of us inside ourselves when we're, when we're young boys. So it, it, it's a lot to do with role models. It's a lot to do with the, the trauma that little boys experience growing up so, and a lot of men do too, that they then enact on other 
on others, typically on people less powerful than them in order for them to feel something or to get rid of something from them so they then enact it on another person. And that's why I keep saying if we don't heal men and if men don't pursue a life of compassion, connectedness, love generally, if we don't pursue those things in life, if we don't look inwards and become internal and do it genuinely, not to not to gain from other people, but do it genuinely, do yeah, it to yeah, connect yeah. with other people. We can heal a lot of things. We can raise children who feel seen, heard, loved and cared about. We can engage in connected relationships. We can we can love people. <laughs> we can we can see a man on the street and as a man not feel ashamed that this man is crying. And then you can sit there with this man and cry with him. And no one, you know, and you can get them up and help them to the next bit, you know? But there's this whole thing about gender, gender motivation theory and the whole idea that men's motivation is dominance and women's motivation is connection and and safety. And I'm just like, how much of that is even true? <laughs> really and truly, like, don't we all strive for that? Don't we all strive for? Yeah, man, it's Jesus. Uh, I don't even know where to begin uh, in response to that. You you covered so much, um, but I I think there's yeah, there's this really beautiful element of it, it's kind of it's hard to almost understand like the the focus on the external, even the focus on the maybe the more dominative uh, aspects uh, of striving the. The almost the unwillingness to go within and the constant seeking of things outside it's amazing like i wonder at what point and i i assume we're coming to it where i often see change is brought about by suffering and i don't want to be too pessimistic when i'm when i'm alluding to that but that there's surely we're getting to a point now you know even when you've touched on suicide there a, a couple of times uh, just the suffering the breaking down of relationships the consistently having to press that button for the next dopamine hit just to feel something or to exert your power over somebody else. What what do you think are what do you think are kind of inhibiting? Uh, like, and I know the internal journey is difficult to suddenly start looking internally. What do you think is most inhibiting men to start looking inside? Because it seems to be that there's so much pain that's showing up internally and externally and society wide by not by not looking inside. I can only speak for myself on this, I think, but it's scary. Of course. Yeah, yeah. It's scary. Um, I think when you start looking inside yourself, you start having to address the demons. You start having to listen back to conversations that you've subconsciously blocked out from you, you know? I'm just, I'm closing my eyes, wincing as you oh, said that, see, because I, I know that experience too well. As part of my, um, part of my training, we did, um, we did something called IFS, um, internal family systems. And um, that was, I'm not an expert in it, so I may fudge some stuff of it, but um, it was sort of about, it was created by Richard Swartz and it's generally called part work. So it's, it's like your, your internal realm is made up of several parts and they all work together. And there's like, you know, there are characteristics of these parts that protect other parts, for example. So where you might have a characteristic that is protecting your fear in order for you to access your fear you've got to get through the the things that's the thing that is protecting it for example yeah and um this is why i love hypnotherapy so much because it it, it really helps you address your internal world very very effectively and um it gets a bad rep because of the stage hypnosis and the other things, but it does help you really look into yourself and assess 
where where things are and where you're at um and access and unlock memories that you probably shut away just because you didn't need to worry about them or think about them anymore but part work when i was doing part work i i i was kind of led down this path with the, with the person that was guiding me hypnotically led down this path to um really access and speak to my inner child but the part that was locked up locked that i had locked away in a very very kind of cold and unwelcoming way and if your inner child is stuck in there <laughs> you know it will either attack to try and get out it will withdraw it will do all these things because it's not protected it doesn't feel safe by you and um and i always looked at that and i always thought to myself it's scary going down there going into that space because now you have to confront something that you've that you've neglected you know um and I, and I looked at that and I thought to myself, you know what? I hadn't actually had fun, actual fun in a long time. Hmm. What does that look like for me? All my fun is adult fun. It's like, you know, I'm going dancing, I'm going drinking and doing adult fun things. But then I'm like, what actual childlike fun have I not done? I'm not done go karting, like, or have I not done like, you know, yeah. the, you know, there's this this real uptake in like soft plates, soft places, soft spaces for adults to kind of like jump and trampoline and all, all these things. Like, have I really just not tapped into those areas in my life? Have I really not gone out and just enjoyed myself because I've locked away the core part of me that was told to grow up and to be serious and be mindful and uh, not be mindful, but just be serious and be an adult. And, um, and I locked that, locked that little child away. And then I just gone away and just been serious about everything, take on responsibilities. And a key part of my life took that turn because I had to take on a lot of responsibility from an early age. And that meant that I had to do things that I, just, that I never would have really had to do if certain circumstances hadn't happened. I wouldn't have had to do those things so early. Probably would have been a bit easier on myself. Probably would have been able to um, gradually grow up. But I had a strong sense of responsibility that I, and I put that on myself. And my environment did that too. So once we start looking inside, it becomes a, it, you've just, you, it's like Pandora's box you open it and all of the darkness comes out, but the bottom of it is still hope. <laughs> so at least you can at least be like, all right, cool. Yeah. Hope is still there, but you've got to get through all the shit. <laughs> you got to get through all of that stuff. It's just, yeah. Wild. I was looking at a, an interview of yours um, with the guy that wrote uh, Shantaram. Uh, what's his name again? Gregory David Roberts. Yeah. And, there's something for anyone who's not aware of the story. He's uh, he was essentially a, a bank robber um, and a heroin addict in Australia. Who then moved to India. He ended up being a doctor in the in the slums in Mumbai. Uh, he started just lived the most crazy life, and he seems to be in quite a peaceful state now. And you, you know, when you're just mentioning hope, there, it kind of taps into that a little bit where. You're just kind of like, wow. I think at one point you said it kind of gives you hope, his situation, even that he just went through things that most of us, that almost pale into insignificance, what we're not forgiving ourselves for what maybe he did at some point. And yet still there was kind of a redemptive arc in his life. And and I think that's the the really nice thing about when you do start going into your darkness or the things that you have shame for. There's usually a point where you kind of go, I'm just going to forgive myself. You're, you're almost left with no choice because if you keep the same, I don't know, if you keep shutting yourself off to yourself, if you keep resisting even this idea of the inner child that you're talking about, if you start, if, if everything is kind of revolves around judgment and self-criticism, 
you know, that you just, you have suddenly have nowhere to move mm. and all you have left to, is all you have left to, to hang on to is almost hope or something. So I almost think that there's an inevitable part of an internal journey where you will, I don't know whether you hit the floor or something and all that's left is hope, but there is still something there at, at the bottom of it all, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there has to be something. There has to be something. I think we're all born with the, with, with the, with the potential for that. We're all born with the potential for that. But so many of us just, some people go their whole life without having, without, without any doing internal investigation. And again, no judgment. That's your life. It's, if it's safer for you that way, it's safer for you that way. Some people are just ignorant. And I say ignorant in that they just don't know any different and they just crack on with what they need to do um and at some point i've always found it quite challenging sometimes there are some guys i speak to and i'm just like when i'm asking people how they are or not asking things and they just don't give me they don't give me anything <laughs> i'm yeah, like yeah, i'm yeah. like you're not you're not giving me anything like here you know what i mean like it's just bland like Whenever somebody asks me how I'm like, oh, I'm, right. I'm quite expressive and I'm quite like, but something people just don't have any, just don't have anything to give. And I'm just like, this is interesting. If I had time, I would sit here and try and unpack it with you. But like, sometimes, you know, we just, we got things to do. So, um, and I get it. And it's hard for a lot of people and it's dark and it's scary. So, which is why I think that like, a lot of men don't go that far because, you know, I even had a conversation with somebody, um, an older man, and I said, oh, men don't go that far. They, you know, men typically, statistically and socially, men have more time than women, right? Um, there's, because women embark upon, or it's a gender theory theory, which I, which I actually agree with. And um, they have women embark upon something called kin keeping, which is all the unpaid cerebral and physical labor that women tend to take on in a household, for example, that men do not consider. Whether this happens naturally or intentionally, I don't know personally, because I'm not in, I'm not a scientist of that profession but i i did find it an interesting theory where um and i and i saw it as an example with some family members when everybody was rushing to get to that everybody had to leave a, a house at a particular time i was in the house because i was using the kitchen and they were going to leave me in the house and i lock up and i come and meet people after but these two people they're married and the man is concerned about his wife. He wants to make sure that she's drinking tea to because she's not feeling too well. It's winter time. And um that's all he's doing. While I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm just observing life, just watching. But um so that's all he's doing. He's crushing ginger, he's doing lemon, he's making the, the, all this different stuff for her. What she is doing is creating a list for him to remember what to do for the period which is christmas for the period while chasing two kids who are under the age of five and to get them washed cleaned fed while thinking about the food that they're going to bring down in the car for the long journey for the kids while thinking about the things that the husband needs to pack in the car so that they don't forget certain things for the kids and themselves over the Christmas period, which she is then applying to a list for him to remember. Then when all of that is happening, he's handing her the drink <laughs> so that she can feel better. But she's, her head is already in several different places at once. And then when we're leaving now, she's the one that's telling me to, how to lock the door while holding my nephew for example and not right. and telling and knocking and telling me how to lock the the house and what to what to do at x y and z while everybody else is in the car so that whole like all of that when i when i found out what king keeping was 
and I saw that as a thing, I was like, this is actually very, this is very interesting. So when I when I look at it, I think that men have more time than women. That time, over time, has been used for developmental stuff or career progression or technologies or things to be able to do because, you know, they, they, there's certain things they don't need to think about. But I'm like, you actually have more time to be introspective, <laughs> like, now, you know. Women are made to feel that they have to be introspective. So they, and, and a lot of them are introspective about who they are. A lot of women's shame come from, comes from what they're not fulfilling as women and a lot of different stuff. Whereas a lot of men don't necessarily get to that place. You know, shame, if you said, if you were to bring shame to a woman, they'd probably understand the deep intricacies of shame. <laughs> in a way that men just be like, shame? Huh? So that's my battle, generally. <laughs> that's my battle, generally. If you were, you know what I mean? I'm, 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 I work with shame and vulnerability and worthiness and imperfection, and I work in those areas. My battle is trying to bring that to men in that way. And you have to bring it to them in a different way because a lot of men haven't done the work because they haven't spent the time to go inward because everything is external because they've never needed to go into and it's just an again it's an infinite loop of just things of just shit <laughs> that's just kind of like we need to deal with it all i said a lot there but the point is you know women have to women have a lot more to consider generally in life and they have less time which is unfair and it's inequitable and we need to be able to start sharing that load in the main, though, a lot of men aren't going internally enough, even with all the time they have. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating uh, in terms of yeah, just the the idea of uh, the opportunity is there, but it's just going to be a, I don't know a question of uh, people that are doing the kind of work that you're doing and and raising more awareness and consciousness of the need for this and. And I think allied with the allied with the level of suffering that we're seeing now, obviously, you know, suicide being the biggest killer of men, I think even all the way up into under the age of 50, like we're getting to a point, I think, where it's almost getting so absurd. Um, and if it weren't so bloody tragic, you, you know what I mean? The kind of predicament that we're in. Um, when you look through the course of kind of what you've been describing in, in this conversation, like, you know, first of all, a question of why for you that drives so much and then even you know following that into journalism a bit then experiencing breakdowns and also having a lot of why questions around then even the the experience you have of even trying to understand yourself coming away with the idea that relationships and trust are so important and you know that these are thing kind of fundamental things and then that you even a connection with the outer, outer world and, and trying to to help an element of uh, like a social problem that you that you see as well and the work that you're trying to do there and then the significance again of going internally and not trying to shy away from this while also not being ignorant of the difficulties that are involved in that mm -hmm. when you when you look at all these um these kind of uh, reflections of yours if I were to ask you, just in terms of even more holistically than that, again, of the question of what is a what is a good life for you, uh, what first comes to mind for you? Peace. Peace. Yeah. The first thing I just I just want to be done, you know. <laughs> I just, you know, what I mean, I, <laughs> like um, I, th I know that I know. I mean, I'm absolutely walking in my purpose. I'm absolutely mission sent mission centered and mission led um i definitely have a drive um and i'm doing what i'm what i believe i was brought here to do that is consistently becoming clearer and clearer as life progresses and i think that happens to most people when they when they invite that to happen to them and they let that happen um but it's hard like I just, yeah, you know, yeah. I just want to just, 
I just want to just run through a valley and just let my feet hang into the into the river stream and just, you know, sit under the sun and watch the birds fly across the thing sometimes, you know? Like, it's just, yeah, just, you know. Just, Sounds pretty sweet, doesn't it? Just, just, just lay there and, you know, write poetry or something each day. And it doesn't mean I can't do this, but it's just like, it's just like, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a grind a lot of the time and I just want peace um in whatever way in whatever way it comes I just feel like um peace is a good life for me um and I just think that I I like tranquility um I like harmony that's what I like I think let me let me go there I like harmony I like things to be in harmony with one another um I'm very good with with um polarities and things like I know that good comes with bad and I know that death comes with life and I know that you know it just it comes like um gain does come with a loss in some way I'm I'm good with that um because it's harmonious and I like and I like the harmony I like the balance stuff it keeps me in check it keeps me it keeps me good you know <laughs> it keeps me all right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, I think harmony is what makes a good life for me. Final final answer, Mark, for a million. Yeah, <laughs> harmony and peace. Yeah, you know, I I think it's I think it's interesting though, man. I think for as much as we think we want to be happy, we want to have this and that, we want to have these possessions or these external things. Anytime someone says the word peace to me, I think something in my heart just opens up and it mm. relaxes or it unclenches or something, and I'm like, yeah, that's 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 the word we're all after. I think and. You know, Alex, I, I must say I appreciate your all that you've shared on in this conversation and um, your openness in describing your highs and lows. Um, and I also just to say, I, I, I believe that you're on your mission as well, man. Thank you. And, and I really encourage anyone who's listening to to check out Alex's work. I'll be leaving links. Um, I'll be leaving links in the in the bottom of this, uh, the, the notes for this podcast. Um, and I, I wish you the best on your mission, man, because I think you're you're someone who I know that's showing up to it um, wholeheartedly and with a, with a very genuine sense of purpose as well. So thank you, man. Thank you very much for your time, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for thank you for this. You know, I always appreciate it.